Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today is going to be another great episode with Kevin Wilkie, the marketing director at Kuyu, marketing development director, excuse me, Kevin, at Kuyu. How are you? (laughs) I'm fantastic today. How are you? I'm doing great. You know, we had a great episode when we answered a bunch of questions on the last episode with you. Uh, We've got a bunch more questions to pile through here, and I just appreciate the time that you spent uh, with us last time, and I know the listeners uh, gave rave reviews about uh, the in-depth answers that you gave, so let's just dive in and have some more fun. Cool. Let's do it, man. All right. Sounds good. Uh, First question we've got here is uh, from Grand Slam 10X, uh, which way do you move your pin toward target up, down or sideways? So I think what he's asking is like, is your, is your starting or aiming process? Um, are you settling the pin from the top or coming in from the bottom or are you coming in from sideways? Um, I typically start above the target and come down like as i'm drawing back i'm pointed my i have my bow pointed straight at the target um okay just, so some guys start and they're kind of down and then you see them make this big move up and then we've all seen the guys that start way high and come down you kind yeah. of draw straight back and pretty much if the arrow were i mean were to be released it's going to go in the in the direction of the target the whole time exactly yeah if i were to torch one off mid draw I would hope that it would hit the target or come close to it. But, and, and I do that for two reasons. One, while you're hunting, you don't want a lot of movement, right? Like Mm -hmm. you're drawing back on a big buck or whatever your, whatever your game is. You don't want to be like, they call it sky hooking. It's like, it's actually like they'll, they'll disqualify you from a tournament. Like if you're unsafely draw like point your bow up in the air and drawn back, like they'll give you one warning. And if you do it again, like they'll, they'll cut you like they, they they won't let you shoot. Um, so I do it. Number one for, to minimize movement. So you don't get picked up on, uh, by weary eyes. And then the other reason I do it is just for safety. Like a lot of these tournaments we shoot like Redding. Um, man, you're, if you were to torch one off on any one of those targets, it's going to probably land where people are at. So, um, just be really safe as you're drawn back, point them straight at the target. Now, once I get in the full draw and I'm kind of settling in, I, I come in from the top, just bare, like, as I'm, I don't mind it if like, as soon as I settle in and I hit my anchor, like, I don't mind it if my pin's already on the target. Like, that's good. Like you're already mostly there and I don't like to waste energy. So I like to get my pin on the target as fast as I can. How mine typically goes, it's coming in from 12 o'clock. I pass the target settle in at like just six o'clock where my pins on it and as i raise my bow arm up into the center position um when my pins kind of bouncing around the middle uh that that upward tension kind of helps me firm things up it helps me steady like coming down you've got to relax and you're kind of losing tension but as i'm coming up i'm building a little bit of tension into my into my body into my shot so that extra added tension is what steadies my aim. So that's why I come in from six o'clock. Okay. Just to be clear, cause I thought you said you come in from the top and you may do, come in I from do. the top. Well, so you come it. in from the top and you draw and it, it's actually, if you were to map it out, it's actually dropping your pin goes right on down below the, the, the target. And then as you kind of start settling in, it's rising and coming up to it. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. Yep. And you feel like and, that rising is creating that tension, what you want. And, and yes. that goes back to the first episode where you were like trying to bore a hole, right? Yes, exactly. Yep. So that extra tension comes from like, as, as I'm coming down, like you, it's, it's, it's hard to build tension as you're coming down. But as you're coming up, it like the trigger tightens up a little bit. Your bow arm tightens up just a little bit. And that steadiness which I'm adding strength to my bow arm and, and keep applying tension to the, to the trigger. Uh, steady those two things. It steadies my shot and it fires the shot at the same time. So that's how you get your, your shot to cut while you're, while you're aiming or while you're lined up. Is there ever a point in time when you are working on that tension and you literally are just 
not releasing the shot and you're just holding that pin and hovering it over or are you one that thinks that when I get it into the spot I want to go ahead and shoot yeah sometimes if it goes too long you'll sometimes see me let down um and, and we and we didn't cover that in the in the last uh, episode but I uh yeah, if it's not right, it's okay to let down like and start over. That's something you typically probably don't want to do when you're hunting. I've done it before while I was hunting. I, I remember drawing back on a buck one day, and uh, it was a pretty difficult shot. And I had him, and the wind picked up, and I was aiming, and I was fighting through it. And I let down, and I kind of regrouped and trying not to let my nerves betray me. And I, I thought, okay, let's reset and try this again. He had no idea I was there. Drew back second time on it and let him have it. And he made it like 10 steps. Uh, so, yeah, if the time's right, you can let down and start over. There's, there's, that's, that's a good disciplined practice. If, if things aren't feeling right, let her down. Um, start over, especially and, when you're practicing and training. Like, like I said um, the, earlier, like you only have control over the, the arrow in your bow. Like that's the one you've got control over. You don't have any control over the last one or the next one. It's the next shot. The one that's in your bow is uh, the only one you've got control over. So make the best of it. Going back Um, to that question, Kevin, you would never advise coming from the side, right? There was a time I remember somebody asked me and I realized that I, yeah, I I was like kind of coming in like a J pattern. Like I, I would just do what's natural. Like I, and and if it's a, if you're the way you naturally do it is, is impacting you in a negative way. Like let's say a guy's coming in from the bottom and he just can't quite get it up into there. That's another kind of a form of target panic. Um, maybe set up to, to your shot in to come up a little bit higher. So that by the time you settle, like by the time I've settled, I'm like, my pin is in the dot and I'm like just barely at six o'clock. And so I'm pulling it up into the center to make it fire. And I'll be honest, some days it just likes to fire at six o'clock. I don't really say that's a, a target panic thing, but I talk to a lot of people about this. And if you've got a natural tendency to, to favor the six o'clock side of whatever you're aiming at, a lot of times guys do that because they like to see where their arrow will impact. And so they're posting up below, but that can be a slippery slope because if, if, if that aiming tendency is driven by a little bit of panic, um, you'll get, you'll find yourself getting lower and lower and where you can't even hold it up on the target. So the, the one thing about the way our, our brains are wired is if you can do it one time, you'll be able to duplicate. And so that's why I've, for years I've taught people don't mess around, get your pin in the middle as quick as you can. Don't, don't get fancy. Don't just try to, plow it right into the center and get it there as quick as you can and try to hold it there. Cause once you've done it one time, you can duplicate it. Your, your brain will allow you to keep doing that. What, where guys get into a little bit of trouble is when, um, they hammer the trigger the second it lines up that their, their first time getting the pin into the middle is the time that they shoot. And that's, that's a recipe for disaster. So you got to get it in there one time, allow it to duplicate a few times while you, execute your shot and you'll have more arrows lined in the middle okay we've got a question here from ak ak 510 uh which is the most effective method of tuning a bow it's a good question because there's a lot of info out there um so if if you were to do a quick search or ask anybody that same question they'll either tell you paper tuning or bear shaft tuning to me, they are one and the same. I can tell you the exact same thing from paper tuning that um, I can from bear shaft. So if I'm getting a high left tear through paper, uh, and paper tuning, if for anybody that's new or not quite clear what it is, you stretch a sheet of paper in front of your target, and you start out about one yard away, and you shoot the arrow through the paper. Now, if that arrow is fishtailing or porpoising or, or got some erratic movement, it's not going to poke a perfectly straight hole through the, or a, a bullet hole through the, the paper. It's if your arrow is fishtailing, it's going to, you'll see where the point impacts 
and you'll see where the fletchings rip the paper and it'll be like a left or right high low swing and so you're trying to get the arrow to fly you know straight out of the bow so um back to comparing it to bear shaft tuning if i'm getting a high left paper tear that means i'm going to miss low right with a bear shaft like they, they tell you the exact same thing um so i I'm going, to, I'm going to naturally pick the easier method, which is paper tuning. I can do it, you know, paper or bear shaft tuning. You got to scrape the fletchings off one or leave one arrow that's un, uh, that's not fletched, and you got to step back at like 20 or, or work your way back, and it's a tedious process. Through paper tuning, I start at one yard and I work it back in one yard increments. So I'll start point blank at the paper, get it where it's shooting a good bullet hole. I'll step back to two yards, shoot another one step back to three, I'll work my way back to five yards. And if I can, if I can have a bolt, maintain clean arrow flight for five yards, like I'm sitting pretty good. Like I, I'll have good arrow flight. I consider that tuned. Now, once I've paper tuned my bow out to five yards, I'm confident that I could grab a bear shaft and shoot it into the tendering at 20 yards. Because like I said, they're to me, they're one and the same. Um, now, I don't want to sound like I'm dissing on bear shaft tuning, but I do use a method of bear shaft tuning to determine my point weight. And I learned this trick from uh, Tim Gillingham. We worked together at gold tip and, and he, that guy has tested more things than he's forgot more about archery than most people know. Um, at any rate, uh, what, what I'll do is I'll like, let's say I'm trying to determine which point weight to shoot. Now I'll, I'll build up one arrow with let's say a hundred grain point. Um, I'll build up the next one with 120 and the third one with 140. I'm trying to make up my mind of, of this little spread of weights, which one's going to be the most accurate. So what I'll do is I'll take that, the first bear shaft, I'll paper tune it where I'm getting a good bullet hole and I'll sight in for like 30 yards or so. You don't have to get that far back, but I'll pin up a clean sheet of a clean target or a clean sheet of cardboard and I'll just draw like with a Sharpie, a, a nice black center or something that e it's easy to aim at, but on a fresh piece of paper, because you're going to be measuring your, your group size when you're done. Now I'll shoot that first arrow 10 times, just aim at the same spot. You shoot it one at a time. You'll shoot it, walk up, pull your arrow, step back to the line, shoot it again. Um, and then you'll go to arrow number two on a new spot. I'll repaper tune because when you change point weight, it'll slightly adjust the tune. So I'll make a couple minor adjustments to my rest if I need it. Sometimes I've done it and not have to change my tune at all. And I'll shoot that one arrow again, 10 times. And then I'll switch to the heaviest arrow and shoot that one 10 times. And then when I'm done, if I feel like I've made any bad shots, I'll reshoot them or I'll X them out on, on where they landed. Like, okay, that broke weird. I'm not going to, or the shot went off weird. I'm not going to count that one. But I'll measure my group, and then I'll determine my point weight that I'm going to run based off of which one shot the tightest group with a bear shaft. Now, it's argued you could do the same test with a fletched arrow, but I think the the fletching, having the fletchings removed, like kind of takes away all level of correct you know, of the arrow being corrected. So it's just way more critical. And when you're trying to determine between like 10 grains or 20 grains on arrow weight, like it's hard to differentiate that. So by removing the flex, excuse me, by removing the fletchings kind of adds a level of criticalness that um, it makes, you'll, you'll see a little bit of separation between which, which point weight shoots the best. Um, so to circle back, you know, which, which is the most effective method of bow tuning? Like I would start with paper tuning and then you can, um, there, there's a few other ways of tuning a bow and, and, and you can try those as well, but I feel like 90% of the guys out there could benefit just from having a good clean paper tear, um, or a good tuning their bow to shoot a, a bullet hole through paper. I, I feel like that's, uh, that's a way to do it. Um, now, um, if you want to take your paper tuning to a next level, like I will, um, I number all of my arrows. That is a practice that I feel like everybody should do. I number them, you know, I'm building three dozen, all of them, one through 36 or one through 20. Whatever you've got, number them so you can differentiate them. And I'll, I'll pin up my... Come here, man. 
I'll set up my paper tuning rack and I'll draw an aiming dot on that I can aim at. And I'll do this at five yards and I'll go through and draw like however many arrows I'm tuning, I'll draw that many dots and I'll shoot and I won't shoot them in order. I'll just shoot one arrow at each dot on the paper and then I'll look at them and I'll inspect every one of them and see if any of them tore differently than one another. Now, uh, I've spent a lot of time with a shooting machine where you lock your bow into a shooting machine and you tune it for, uh, hang on. My daughter just stepped in. I'll fix, I'll fix it later. Okay. Thanks. Sweetheart. Um, so I've spent a lot of time with a, with a shooting machine, you know, dialing in a dozen arrows to where they'll shoot a one hole group, like through the machine. And anytime we got an arrow that would not shoot a one whole group, and we were doing this at like 20, 25 yards. Um, if we shot that same arrow that didn't fly with the rest of the group by hand through paper, it always shot differently than the others. So the, so the arrows that all shot one hole, you'd shoot them all through paper and they'd have an identical tear at five yards. And if we ever had one, like let's say it missed right, it would have a left tear through paper when you shot it by hand. So I don't even use the, the, the Hooter shooter anymore. Like I, I have one, I have a shooting machine. I don't even use it. So I'll, I just paper tune all of my arrows at five yards. And, and, it, and if you do get one that, that tears differently, like if it's a left tear, you put a broadhead on, it's going to miss right by how far is it's going to miss is it depends on how bad the tear is, I guess. It may be, it may miss by a half inch. It may miss by three inches. So I'd rather go out on the field knowing that every arrow on my quiver will shoot a one hole group. Now, um, what I'll do if, if I do have one that shoots a little bit differently, I'll, I, I'll turn the knock to the next vein. Now, if you look at the quiver of most pros shooting professional level, Every vein on their arrow is the same color. They don't do an odd vein. Like, when you buy your arrows pre-fletched from Sportsman's Warehouse or wherever, any any store, like, they're mass-produced. They, they, they fletch them with an odd vein and, and two matching veins. Now, you look at the quiver of most pros, they're going to do them all the same way because the reason we do that is so you can knock tune. And another reason is so all those veins came out of the same batch, same same amount of dye and coloring and everything. They're all identical. They all came out of the same package. Um, it's like the equivalent of, of shooting all of your powder out of the same lot. Uh, at any rate, um, so I'll rotate that knock to the next vein and I'll shoot it again and I'll just keep rotating that knock until it shoots, a, shoots the same as the rest of them. That way you can, you can tune every one of your arrows to, to shoot a one hole group. And, and five yards is the distance that is where if you have a problem arrow, it'll rear its head at five yards. That's great stuff. Um, and then once you have a problem arrow, once you've tried to tune it a little bit and, and knock turn it, then it gets thrown in the closet, right? It get, goes in the, it get, goes in the corner with the rest of it them. Gets, <laughs> it gets thrown at a jackrabbit. <laughs> <laughs> I gotcha. All right. Next question here. When practicing for hunts, this is from the real bearded hunter. When practicing for hunts, should I, let's see, should I be trying to shoot groups or just pick a spot? Uh, so what he's asking is it better to, you know, step back at 60, 70 yards or whatever your distance is and just try to shoot tight group. I would say both. You know, I, I want to know, you build your confidence on the practice range, right? You know, you the 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 confidence you build is uh, the airspace between you and your target walking back and forth and shooting and just you know getting dialed in to where you can you feel like your bow is just absolutely dialed but there is a lot to be said um like you talked about just shooting one arrow and and just shoot one arrow pick a spot and because that's what you're doing when you're hunting And, and i think the best practice for that is once you've you know, you've stepped off of the side end range. You've got your bow tacking at at every distance you're capable of shooting. You're dialed in. You're shooting well. I think some of the best practice you can get is going out and shooting a round of unmarked 3D. 
And, you know, when we're hunting, you don't always get to use your rangefinder. So I still like to practice judging distance. So I'll, I'll go out and find somebody that's got a, a 20 target 3d course set up and I'll go out and I'll keep score, but I'll, I'll shoot every other target with or without a rangefinder. And when I was a kid growing up, we never had rangefinders at all. You just had to, you had to judge everything. Um, so, and, and that would be picking a spot on the target and just making that your one shot you have to make on that animal. Um, so I, I would, for the real bearded hunter, my, my advice is to do both. Okay. Um, how can you improve your accuracy? You've, you've obviously you've touched on that, but you also probably have some other tips as well. This is from liver sedge. Okay. Uh, great question. Um, kind of broad, but when I, when I think of improving accuracy, I, I think of tuning and I, and I think of tuning in three parts, you know, tuning the bow, tuning the arrow and, and tuning yourself. You've, you've got to have all three of them working in harmony. So, um, we tune our bows. We talked about that through paper tuning and, and getting good arrow flight, uh, you know, making sure your, your sights leveled. That's an, that's another huge one. Maybe we'll, maybe I'll talk a little bit about that in here in just a second. Um, uh, uh, the importance of having your sight level. So making sure the bow is absolutely dialed in, uh, making sure your, um, your arrows are all matching. You know, you've got to have matched ammunition. You've got to, if you can have every one of your arrows capable of shooting a one hole group through a hooter shooter, which we just discussed, you know, by, by having him shoot identical tears through paper at five yards, we'll, we'll pretty much duplicate that. That's the other one. And then your mental game. And we, we talked a lot about mental game and, and like shot process, you know, having confidence. If you can fine tune all three of those aspects of your shot process and your, just your whole archery kit, you will improve your accuracy. Now, if you're just looking for a quick hitter tip of like one thing that you can go do to improve your accuracy, shoot long distance. Um, that will magnify any issue you've got going on. Um, my acid test for um, a new bow set, like say I'm testing a new release, a new site, a new whatever it is, my acid test is 80 yards. I feel like if I... Now, I, and this may sound, come off as a little cocky or whatever, but I feel like I should be able to shoot a golf ball-sized group at 80 yards. That is, like, my acid test. If I can stand there at 80 yards and just, and I'm not saying I do this all the time, like, because, yeah, I, I don't, but sometimes I do. If I get warmed up really well and the wind's not crazy and, I, and I'm feeling good, like, everything's firing on all cylinders, I feel like I can stand there at 80 yards and I can put arrows in a nice tight group. You can fit your hand around. That's what I'm expecting. And that's what I'm looking for. So find the distance that it would be your acid test. I know some guys will do it at a hundred. Some guys it's at 40 or whatever. And wherever your max distance is that you can kind of call your shots midair, I would extend that a little bit further. So I'll practice at 120. And I'm not advocating that people go shoot animals, maybe a coyote or a jackrabbit at that distance, but like big game. No, I, I won't, I won't, I won't stretch it that far, but I, I sure like to practice at that distance because it really shows any error you have in your setup. So whatever your max distance is, push it a little bit further. That way, when you jump into those closer targets, it'll, it'll feel like a slam dunk. Yeah, I mean, don't you think, um, well, you know when you're shooting at longer distances, when you get back to 30, 40 yards, it literally feels, I mean, it feels like standing at five yards used to feel. Yeah, yep. You you kind of refine your, your aiming, just the whole process, because a little bit of movement at a long distance can mean a big miss. And and you don't want to get discouraged doing it. Don't, don't push yourself too hard, but like, push it enough that you're you're kind of getting out of your comfort zone and and figuring out what you're capable of um make sure you have a big target because nobody likes to trash arrows kevin when you are let's while we're here when you are shooting let's say 100 yards one of the things i found is when you're actually like settling your pin it almost just becomes i don't 
I don't want to say it's more of a feel, but it, it almost takes like that, like real sharp, precise aiming out of it. And it's almost just like a, what am I trying to say? It's, it's like, it's just like almost like shooting by feel. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Uh, talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So you're, and I, and I try to duplicate that at every distance. Like, so I'm, I try to treat all the, my, I shoot the same shot no matter what the distance is. And, um, I know I've talked a lot about aiming, but like, I think I do more looking than actual aiming. Like I'm looking for that sight picture. I'm kind of like letting it float and letting it happen. And I'm not like, I, yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. Like, it's kind of a feeling you get when you're and, and almost shooting, like practicing at long distance. It kind of removes a little bit of pressure because it's like, oh, I'm not expecting to shoot that well because it's so far away. And then guys find out when they kind of remove that pressure from themselves that it's like suddenly they just they're just looking through their target and they're just shooting and all of a sudden they get really good groups and they're like, holy crap, I shoot better at long distance than I do at close distance. Because when they're up close distance, they've got an expectation to, to uphold. They're like, oh, this is only 20 yards. It should be easy. I should be able to drain these every time. Um, so It's kind of like when you're, I mean, shooting baskets and you're someone's, you know, feeding you the ball and you're literally behind the three-point line and you're just kind of in a rhythm and someone's feeding you the ball and you're just shooting, you're just throwing it up, you're just shooting and shooting. It's almost, You almost just get into a rhythm and that's how I feel um, when I shoot at long, long distances. It's the same, It's there's like the stress isn't there for me and I, I'm, no, I'm no great shot, but I will tell you when I started getting out further, it kind of took, it just got more of a rhythm. It got more of a feel and it's like, yep, I'm not expecting to really do any good at a hundred. And then you, you shoot a little bit and you're like, golly, I can actually shoot pretty good. Yeah. And, and I think the challenge there would be if if anybody else kind of has that same feeling or is to, just to, to spread that out across every distance, you know, get that same feeling. Yeah. Yeah. To learn the feeling get it and expect it. And, and that's something you should really push towards is just being able to, I don't know, I guess I I don't like shooting on like autopilot, but because that doesn't do you any good when, when you get a really stressful shot situation on a giant buck. Oh, it's for real now. Like, okay, you better grab the steering wheel and try to control everything. No, like, I, I try to like be in control of every shot, but yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying on that rhythm. I, I, I try to, and some days are better than others. Like it's not like every time I go out and shoot, it's just Nails. dynamite. Yeah. Sometimes I'm shooting the woods down or I feel like it that way just because, um, you know, you, you have bad days and I think the days that I'm having good, a good time shooting and it's fun. I will, I'll shoot longer sessions that day. I'll shoot until I until I'm not having fun anymore, or until I feel like I've done enough. Um, but there are some days that it you just don't feel like shooting. Don't don't push it hard, and don't you know it, it's. I think you guys do well from hanging hanging it up for a week or so. Just kind of recover, let everything that you're working on try to settle in, kind of forget some of the bad habits and let some of the new habits you're trying to instill sink in. So I'm an advocate of of a little bit of downtime to improve your accuracy. I know a lot of guys think they just got to be hammering it every single day. Um, but I shoot when I feel like it. Yeah. Which makes is often. sense. <laughs> which is often. We've got a question here. Booth 40. Uh, does size matter? <laughs> dot, dot, dot in stabilizers. <laughs> of course. I knew he was going there with that. <laughs> uh, man, I, so I, 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 man, I, I shoot every, like if I'm shooting a field archery tournament or Vegas, um, I'm typically shooting my long stabilizers with a lot of weight on them. Um, yeah, it definitely matters. Like it, it can help you, but, um, for hunting, you know, packing around a long stabilizer setups, not practical. So what I shoot for hunting is, is completely different than what I shoot for competition. So competition bow, I'm running a 30 inch bar with anywhere from five to 10 ounces on the front and then my rear stabilizer. So I got stabilizers going out front and back out the back. 
I'll run a 12-inch stabilizer with close to 10 to 20 ounces of weight, just depending on the bow and kind of how I'm feeling. I, I'm the kind of guy that, um, I guess there's a couple of schools of thought. Like, and I guess you could compare it to how you set up your mirrors or your seat in your vehicle. Like, sometimes it feels good to, to grab a hold of my steering wheel and change a different position when I'm on a long ride, or sometimes it feels good to adjust the lumbar in my seat. Or tweak my mirrors a little bit. I'm always kind of tinkering with stuff. And I know other guys, when they get in their car, it's like everything's got to be perfectly set exact, exactly how you want it. Um, but for me, I, I kind of like to tinker around. And, and sometimes I'll find one setup works better one day than it did the other. So as far as my stabilizers go, I'm not afraid to, to spin off a weight and put another one on just to see what it does. Because, I mean, our bodies are always changing, you know, from like how strong you are in the summertime versus the winter or what you've had to eat that day. Like, I'm not afraid to make adjustments on the fly and I learned a lot doing it. Um, so as far as the size and how many weights, yeah, it matters. I, I would challenge people, you know, kind of uh, figure out what your personality type is like. And if, if you like things set out one particular way and have it never changed, go with it. If, if you're more like me and you like to kind of tinker around and tune and just experiment, yeah, don't, don't stop yourself. Try everything you can think of. Um, so from my target setup to my hunting bow, um, I have probably one of the more unique stab hunting stabilizer setups out of anybody. Like I don't, nobody copies me in this arena. Like if they have, I don't know about it. Um, so I like a very a neutral balance. Like I don't want it weighted to the left or to Poppy, the right come. or forward or back. I kind of just like the bow to park in neutral while I'm aiming it. So if I'm, if I hold my bow with a relaxed hand, I don't want it to tip one way or the other. I just want it to kind of just, as I'm relaxed without the bow drawn back, I like it just neutrally balanced. And my stabilizer setup is, um, where your lower mount is on your bow. I run a 90 degree, um, quick disconnect. So it's a sidebar mount. It's a B stinger infinity sidebar mount and it's bolted straight to my bow. I do not use a front stabilizer on my hunting bow. I just run one eight inch side stabilizer straight out the side with about five or six weights on it. And for me, my bow already naturally balances quite well, you know, front to back or it, it doesn't tip forward or tip back at all. It stands up pretty well. But when you add a quiver and some arrows and your sight and your rest and everything on that side of your bow, it gets a little bit heavy on the right side. So I run the, the single eight inch stabilizer right out the side. It makes a perfect kickstand um, for me, but stabilizers are so personal. Like you've, it just takes a lot of work to figure out what, what what's best for you. Um, there's no right or wrong. Like if you look at my setup, you're like, who's this guy and where's he from? Like, what? it looks goofy, but Holy smokes. It shoots for me. Like I, I've, I've found what works and I'm, and I've done it for years. Like you look back at some of my older, hunting picks from 10, 15 years ago. And I've got that awkward looking sideways stabilizer shooting out the side. Um, You're that but, goofy uh, guy. I am that goofy guy. <laughs> Kevin, I want to take a quick second here and I want to thank the sponsors of the podcast. I want to thank gohunt.com insider guys right now. It's application season. If you're looking for the best Western hunting resource out there on the market, Go to gohunt.com forward slash Scott Just for signing up, you're going to get a $50 Go Hunt Gear Shop gift card. I also want to thank the optics department. My friend Cody Nelson of 20 plus years is the optics manager. If you're looking at purchasing any optics at all, give Cody a call at 702-847-8747. You can also, that's extension two. You can also text him or call him on his cell, 602 399-3699. I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. Kuyu is the company that Kevin works for. Uh, that is the gear that I wear on all my hunts. Kuyu is a direct-to-consumer model. The best ultralight hunting gear on the market. That's K-U-I-U.com. Uh, you can go right on the website and order the, any gear right there on the website. It's the only place to get it. I also want to thank Phonescope.com. Use the JScott20 promo code. It's going to save you 10%. Onxmaps.com, use the JScott20 promo code. It's going to save you 20%. And then Apex Ammunition, go to apexmunition.com. It's the home of the TSS, the Tungsten Super Shot, 
That's the uh, shotgun shells that I'm going to be using this turkey season. Uh, Kevin, let's keep rolling through the questions here. Um, yeah. How to measure your own draw length? This is from Cole Meister 17. Got it. Fantastic question. Now, if you were to Google this, they would tell you a formula of measure your wingspan and divide it by 2.5. And it is only correct if you are a 27 or a 28 inch draw length. That method is trash. <laughs> like, I have no other. How do you really feel about that. it? Um, yeah, it, it's just not accurate. It's accurate if you're in the middle of the span, but um, the the longer the further you get off of that it exponentially gets further incorrect so for a kid to measure his wingspan divided by 2.5 he's not going to land you know somebody's little kid like one of my my 10 year old if we measure his drawings like that it'll be wrong i guarantee it if we grab a guy that's six five six six real tall um measure his wingspan divided by 2.5 and there's a couple other ways to get to that same number guarantee you it will be wrong and that's how 90% of the archery shops kind of start people like, Oh, let's walk you. And I, and I'm guilty. I, I worked at an archery shop for six years. I used to measure people's drawings like that all the time. And I soon found out, you know, when that formula started getting popular early two thousands is when it kind of popped up. Um, everybody likes to feel good. Like they get measured and there's a calculation and then there's this thing you plug in and it tells you what you are. It gives comfort for people to know, that there's some kind of formula that will tell you what you are. But at the end of the day, it's not accurate. It's uh, it's probably the worst way of measuring a draw length. Unless you're a 27 or a 28-inch draw length, it is really accurate because those are the only two places with, where the equation works. It just gets further off the further you deviate from that. So that said, um, you know, to, to get a good measurement, just a good baseline of where to, a starting point really is what you're looking for. Um, and, and it, it really takes having some proper form as well. So like I would, what I typically do with guys is I'll have them make a fist and lean up against a wall and hold their, their shoulder low and locked. You know, you don't want your shoulder rolled up high, like towards your ear, you want it down low and you want to stand just like you're holding the bow and you want your head upright, relaxed, and straight. You don't want to be dipping your head in forward. Um, but if you make a fist and measure from the wall to the corner of your mouth, um, as if you were shooting a bow, that will be within a half inch of what your draw length is for textbook kind of form. Now, um, you you can look down the if you go if, like let's say you go to Vegas and you. Um, you were to watch what the pros were doing. Like you were to take the top 50 guys in the world. This is a super bowl of archery. If you were to look, inspect every one of their form, they're all going to vary a little bit. Um, and, and I, and I'd be willing to bet anything that those guys standing on the line have not measured their wingspan and they're shooting that draw length. I would expect that they're shooting something a little bit longer. So if I, if I use the wingspan method, and I measure out, it tells me I'm a 29 inch draw and I'm, I, I can't squeeze into a 29 inch draw. Like it's just, it's wrong. Everything lines up in the wrong spot. I just, I can't do it. I could make it work if I had to, but it's not optimal. I'm, I'm six one and, uh, my drawings where I've landed is about 30 and five eighths. So and I've, I've run it all the way out to 31 and a half, and I've run it as, as short as 29. But where I land is right around 30 and 5 eighths. And what that gives me, I lean back a little bit while I shoot. I'm steadier that way. You know, just, and I know if you ask some pro or ask like some textbook experts or coaches, they, they will tell you that leaning back is bad because it's improper or whatever, and you'd be better off if you're more upright. And, but, I don't care what they say. I'm, I'm going to go with what works for me. Leaning back just a little bit seems to my pin holds really steady. And, that, and that's kind of what I look for is what my sight pin's telling me. You know, I'll, I'll shoot around. Like, let's say I was starting from scratch and knowing what I know now, I would, I would go every quarter inch. And it, it might take you a couple weeks to figure it out because, you know, as you shoot a lot, you'll get tired and you'll kind of get 
into a groove of what feels good. Um, but I would try, you know, shoot around the indoor wintertime season's a great time to do this. I would, you know, kind of pick in the middle and of where you measure out, uh, and shoot a, a couple days with it like that. And then I would extend it a quarter of an inch. Um, there's many ways you can do that. You can play around with your loop length. You could shorten the cables or lengthen your bowstring. Um, can also alter the draw length by backing out your limb bolts on the bow, like loosening the poundage. That also lengthens your draw length a little bit. So there's a lot of, and you can use the adjustments on the cam as well. So there's a lot of little things you can do to the bow to manipulate the draw length. But I would try, um, you know, just so you don't skip over the best setting, I would go like every quarter inch until you get one that just really locks in and aims steady. Uh, what you want to look for when you're getting, I, I feel like most people would benefit being a little bit longer than being too short. I know a lot of people would argue with me on that, but as far as an accuracy standpoint, once you get kind of stretched out and leaned back a little bit, um, you don't have as many places to go. Like when you're short and uptight, like, it's easy to come out of alignment, but when you're kind of stretched out and leaned back a little bit, like there's nowhere to go. Like you're locked in, you're leaned back, your bow arm can't get any straighter and you can't come back any further. You've got nowhere to go and it's super stable, rock steady, aims fantastic. And that's what I look for is a setup that, that holds on the target really steady. When I shorten things up, you know, things will get a little squirrely. They get a little bit too tight. I notice a lot of left and right misses. Um, so I'll, I'll back that draw length out until I'm a little bit stretched out and, um, I feel like I, I, I get more accuracy that way, but you gotta be, you gotta pay attention to the string contacting your face on the back end. Now, if you go way too long, that string is going to push against your chin or your nose and your cheek. That's a recipe for disaster. You'll never get your bow to tune well if if your bowstring is making a bank shot off of your face when you pull the trigger, um, you just, you can't tune that out of a bow and, and expect accuracy. So you, if you look at me and a lot of other guys at full draw, I'm barely touching my nose on the string at full draw and the rest of the string doesn't touch anything. Um, and that's especially important with high let off bows because when you get into these 80, 90% let off bows, like the, the lightest touch of your face against a string will push that string out of the way. Like I can grab an, an 80, 90% let off bow and pull it back at full draw. And I can twist my hand completely upside down. And it almost looks like the, there's a loop in the, in the bowstring. Like I can turn it around completely, but then you can let it down. I, I don't know if I explained that very well. Um, but you, you want to be careful. You're not influencing the string whatsoever. You want to just be very light um, touching your anchor point. Um, there's one more point I wanted to make I forgot what it was, but that is, uh, that's how I kind of determined my draw length. Oh yeah. It was about the bow arm. Um, I get asked a lot, like, should you shoot? I, I see people being taught to shoot with a bent arm and I see people being taught to shoot with a straight arm. <clears throat> the way I think about it, I think about my legs and, and how they hold my body off the ground in the most relaxed way. And, and in order for my legs to keep my body up off the ground and stand there comfortably and stable, my feet are flat against the ground and my legs are straight. I don't bend my knees. I don't stand on my tippy toes. I'm flat-footed, legs straight, and I can stand there on one leg for hours. And, it, and as you get tired, you switch one leg or the other. So your arms aren't built a whole lot different than your legs right so um i i want my wrist in an in kind of the broken position to where my my hand is pushed back all the way and i'm not like pushing my wrist forward with any tension that's the equivalent of trying to stand on your tippy toes and my bow arm is straight um i'm not hyper extended pushing forward i just have it straight just like it's bone to bone exactly the way my <clears throat> my legs keep my body up off the ground so I think about the way I'm naturally built and I try to build my shot around that. So um, now the problem that some people run into the, the reason that uh, we used to call it the, well, we still do. We, we used to call it the, 
I hope I don't offend any people from Sweden, but we called it the Swedish bow arm. Um, when we'd go to these nat- or the world championships and world cups and you'd see a lot of the Swedish archers, they'd always shoot with a bent bow arm and they shot really well. Um, I admit I've been beat by a lot of guys shooting with a bent bow arm. People make it work. But for me and the way I like to teach people to shoot, it, I don't think it's optimal. So anyway, I see a guy shooting with a Swedish bow arm. The, a lot of times they'll, they'll shoot with a bent arm is because they, uh, the string contacts their arm. Um, and so you can, you can correct that by changing your hand position. Um, one thing that I'll do is I'll, and, and there's a lot of other archers out there that have been teaching this. So it's not like I've made this up or I'm the only one that knows it. Um, but if you, um, come to full draw and have somebody else trace with a marker on the palm of your hand, where your, where your hand is contacting the grip you shouldn't have any of the grip contacting past your, your, the crack in your hand or your lifeline is what they call it. So basically it should, the grip should rest on the pad of your thumbs or the pad of your thumb and the bottom of the grip should run right along the edge of your lifeline. Your knuckles should be at about a 45 degree angle. And the way I hold my bow is the same way I would hold a baby bird. Like, you, you don't want to squish it, but you don't want to let it go either. So you got to be just kind of let the, the grip cradle in your hand, straight bow arm, string touching the tip of your nose, nice good alignment. You want your elbow on the back end lined up with the arrow. Plenty of good examples out there of what proper form looks like. So um, as I was starting my career, I know I spent a lot of time in front of the mirror, um, not admiring any good looks or anything because I'm not really blessed with that. But what I was looking at is how I looked at full draw. And I'd just self-analyze, and I'd make adjustments, and um, yeah, I'd be standing in my bathroom with my bow at full draw, and <laughs> my wife would walk in, like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> anyway, that's uh, or you can have, you know, heck, you got an, an iPhone there, you can have people take your picture. You, there's plenty of ways to self-analyze and figure it out. Um, but then at the end of the day, figuring out your draw length, there is no cut dried measurement. You just got to find out what works for you. Great stuff. Uh, arrowhead, or let's see, arrow setup for elk. This is from map 6386. Yeah, so my elk setup um, is the same that I use for mule deer and, and pretty much anything else. Uh, I shoot the gold tip Hunter Pro 300, and I cut them as short as I can. Um, I, I, I feel like a shorter arrow is, is more consistent. Um and it, it reacts stiffer. I feel like having a stiff arrow is better, especially for broadhead tuning. The only time I really run into accuracy issues is if, is if I'm getting a little bit too weak. So I try to run as stiff as I can. That also helps with getting good penetration. Um, so I'm about 28 inches cut to cut with a 50 grain insert and a hundred grain Grim Reaper on the front. On the fletching side, I use the, whether it's a three fletch or four fletch kind of depends on, the mood I'm in or how many fletchings I had that day to finish up all my arrows. I seriously have like three fletched arrows because I didn't have enough. So <laughs> anyway, three or four fletch, neither here nor there. Um, I use the, the flex fletch two inch silent night. And then I use a gold tip knock on the back end of it. And my total arrow weight is about 445 grains doing about my Hoyt RX four right now shooting them 72 pounds about 299, 298 feet per second. I feel like that's a really good elk setup. Um, my advice for somebody else, you look at how many elk you killed every year, and I bet you the vast majority of them are killed by guys shooting 65-pound bows, 380-grain arrows. There are more elk that have died to that setup over the last 20 years than anything. Don't overthink it. Base your buying decisions and gear selection choices off of accuracy and shot placement and you won't go wrong. So kind of what we talked about before, I, I would try to build up the heaviest arrow you can and still get around that 275, 295 feet per second range. Um, you know, that there's a broad window there, but if you're in that ballpark shooting as heavy of an arrow as you can, I, I've been zapping through elk since I was 14. Like, if you shoot them in the right spot, which goes back to my point of all the time of, of preaching, it's all about shot placement. 
your elk will go down it within seconds. If you shoot them in the right spot, there's a giant spot on their chest where their lungs are. If you get your arrow anywhere inside there, you know, on an elk or a deer, whatever it is, if you, if you put one right through their wheelhouse, it's going down. Um, but yeah, I remember shooting elk when I was 15 years, 14, 15 years old, shooting 2013 Easton aluminum arrows with a Rocky mountain 90 grain with Marco veins. Uh, they, they probably weighed close to 400 grains, but I wasn't shooting as fast. And I bet I was shooting around 260, but I remember zapping right through elk with that setup. When you don't shoot through an elk is usually when you hit them bad. has been my experience. So, Kevin, another great episode. Lots of great information here. I really appreciate you spending time with us. I uh, want to also know, uh, let the listeners know that I'm going to be linking up the, the uh, contacts for Kevin uh, KW Archery on Instagram is a good good way to follow uh, Kevin and the marketing development director there at Kuyu. Again, Kuyu's got a real gem uh, of someone that really, really knows his stuff, and it's real obvious when you start answering these questions. So I appreciate you spending time with us. Uh, God bless. Uh, one last question for you. Yeah. How's your application season looking? Do you have anything that's eminent that you feel confident that you're going to draw or are you just swinging for the fences? No. So I've got, I'm not counting on anything really in Utah. I, I do our dedicated hunter for deer so I can hunt all three seasons of deer. And that, that, that can keep me busy if I don't draw anything. Um, but I have enough points in Wyoming this year to draw region G. Now I said the exact same thing last year. I thought I had enough points and I didn't. Um, so I, I'm, I'm looking forward to hunting Wyoming this year. That'll be my hurrah for deer. Uh, general season elk here in Utah. I will. I usually try to fill the freezer with a, a spike or a raghorn or whatever. You know, I last year I chased uh, open bowl unit, and I'll, I'll probably do that again. It was a lot of fun. Um, and then, man, between Utah and Wyoming, that will take up. And, I, and I'm sure I always have a buddy or two that draw a good elk tag that'll help out. Um, I am planning a blacktail hunt on Kodiak coming last week of October. I've always wanted to do that, and I think this will be my year to get up there, hopefully, depending on how, how things shake out with, with our current world situation. So, yeah, that's what I'm, that's what I'm looking for. It should be a, a fun summer of scouting and shooting 3D and backpacking with the family and It'll be good. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate again having you come on. I look forward to having you on again here soon. I know the listeners are getting a lot of value out of it. So keep up the great work there at Kuyu and we'll be in touch. Okay, buddy? Sounds good. All right, buddy. Take care. Goodbye.